It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Jason, I have some news that may surprise you. A good surprise, a bad surprise, what kind of surprise? Just like a neutral surprise that'll make you say, huh. A neutral surprise. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm game. What do you got? Just something I feel like worth admitting, something new about me, something that'll make you say, huh, well, I'll be. <laughs> I'm just really hoping that you say that because I love it when you say that. So. Okay, well, no pressure now for a reaction. <laughs> It's another national day. It's National Wine Day. And I just thought I should admit that I've been drinking wine more often. Huh. Come on. That was not the right tone of huh. No, but it was an authentic huh. Can I hear the huh that I was really hoping for? Huh. You don't say. (laughs) You don't say. There. Okay. You've been drinking. This is interesting because in the years that I've known you, we've been known to maybe try a little wine at a gathering or a a party or, you know, a lot of the things that we do professionally, but I've never known you to be someone who has privately, you know, in their home or not in an event, indulge or explore wine. So this actually is really interesting to talk about this with you. So tell me more, like, what have you been drinking? What have you been tasting? Give me the download. It was just like an interesting day. I don't really remember what provoked it, but a few weeks ago, I think, I mean, granted, we're in May 2020. And it's been COVID, quarantine, staying at home, physical distancing, all of that. And one day, something inspired me to just go scrounging around to see if I had any alcohol. (laughs) Scrounging? Yeah, because I'm not somebody that drinks very much. I do really enjoy cocktails, but I cut back on cocktails when I started doing the keto diet. I will say, though, there are a number of cocktails that can be made keto. And I have talked about this on Instagram, at least, because I worked with that really cool company, Seedlip, who makes those non-alcoholic spirits, which are really great. So if you can't relate to anything I'm talking about when it comes to alcohol, if you are alcohol-free or you're like me, who sometimes drinks alcohol and sometimes doesn't and sometimes drinks just because of the taste, Seedlip is actually really amazing. And they're not a sponsor of this episode, but they have sponsored me before on Instagram. And their stuff is amazing. So we will link to them because it's incredible. And one of the things I really liked about them was the fact that you could still enjoy a great tasting beverage, but you could do it without alcohol. So you could kind of like feel like you weren't missing out. Because, you know, for me, I just like trying different drinks. Beverages are my favorite thing. So A lot of times I would find myself drinking just to try something. I rarely ever drink to feel a buzz, but I will say that (laughs) shifted a little bit a few weeks ago. And again, I I just remember going and finding, I had a bottle of sake that hadn't been opened and Mm. I was like, I'll get, I'll open this up. It was the unfiltered sake. That's the best kind, the pink bottle. Yep. Yep. That, which is delicious and often something I partake in when I go eat Japanese food. So I had some of that. And then I remembered I had a 
couple cans of this great beer from New Belgium in my refrigerator from last year. So I had some of those. And then I think I had a reaction to them. I had my classic gluten reaction. So I had to nix the beer, although there are some gluten-free beers out there. And then I found a can of wine that actually you have as well, Jason, unless you drank it since we were gifted it. Remember when we went to that store at the supermarket in Hollywood and they gave us that beautiful canned wine? Oh, right. So I had some of that. And I'll be honest, I did not double check that it was vegan. Yeah. Full transparency. It was pretty good. I mean, I'm not a huge wine person, but I have become more curious. And then after that, when I was at the grocery store, there was a section of chilled wine and beautiful cans. And I've been somebody, when it comes to drinks, especially bottled drinks, and Jason knows this, I went through a phase where I was really into hard cider, especially whenever I would visit my family on the East Coast, where cider is a little bit more prevalent. I would love going into the stores and just trying different types of craft, local hard cider. And you would partake in that too, Jason, sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, from a perspective of wanting to try things from a flavor perspective and just kind of developing my palate, I am pretty curious about trying most things for that reason. Yeah, especially when it comes to beverages. And for the listener, if you didn't know this, not all beverages or alcoholic beverages are vegan. So you can check and see. Sometimes they put it on the label. Sometimes the company just has their policy that they don't use any like fish products or whatever. It's a filtration thing. But sometimes you have to go digging and there's a great, what's that website? Barnivore, is that what it's called? Yeah, it's Barnivore. That's the best resource. We should double check that that wine that we were gifted was vegan. So it makes it a little tricky, but you can download the app for your phone. And there are times where I'll end up drinking something and realize I forgot to check beforehand, like in the case of that wine that we received. So uh, yeah, not perfectly vegan. As a reminder to everybody out there, How about you, Jason? When you drink alcohol, do you check that it's vegan before you consume it, like in that rare occasion? Pretty consistently, but not 100% of the time. But if you go to a restaurant or this is where I fall into trouble is when I'm like with friends and somebody gives me wine or something to try. Yeah. It feels kind of awkward to say like, well, let me take out my phone and double check. I'm not trying to mock anybody. I'm doing the Jason voice. Can you do that voice too, Jason? Before I imbibe in this incredible libation you've offered me, I do need to check the application called Barnivore to ensure that no animals were used in the making of this wine. We've actually been at parties where- Yes, that's true. You know, you pull up the website or pull up the app. But again, I'm not present to doing that 100% of the time. Although the last time that I actually drank wine was over the holidays when my mom was in town and we went to Pura Vida, the vegan Italian restaurant here in LA, where obviously all of their wines there are vegan. And the wines on that list are really incredible, FYI. If anyone happens to be in Los Angeles or coming through LA, first of all, if you want an incredible meal, this Italian restaurant is absolutely phenomenal. And they just opened the pizza shop. Yeah. And it's unbelievable food. I mean, it's really so inventive and creative. And yeah, I'll vouch for their wine list. I mean, all of the wines that I've tried there have just been outstanding. Well, yeah, that was just my confession that I've become more interested in wine. I get very excited when I go to the store. There's a grocery store I've been frequenting recently, and they have an incredible alcohol section. Just They have chilled wine and chilled beers and ciders and rows and rows of wines to choose from. And 
I think it's probably just out of boredom, but <laughs> yeah, I had this funny experience one night when I was drinking said can wine, which it was a really high alcohol percentage, and the can had two and a half glasses in it. So, you know, you look at a can and you often associate, at least I do, I associate it with like soda or something. I often think of a can as being like one serving, but yes, I guess one serving is two and a half glasses of wine for some people. But for me, since I don't drink very much wine, that's a lot. And even halfway through the can, I felt very tipsy. And I texted my good friend who's really into wine and said, I'm drinking wine right now. And I totally get why you love it so much because I feel so good. And it's really interesting, you know, I think this is worth exploring because I've never been somebody that gets that into alcohol or drugs. There are things that I'm curious about, and we've dabbled in this a little bit, I think probably around the ayahuasca plant medicine conversation. We talked a little bit about drugs, and I guess there's only so much that we can share on this show because (laughs) some things are not socially or politically acceptable. But even even when I was really young, I I just really wasn't that excited about alcohol or drugs. It was like just curious. And I would sometimes partake in things because I felt like they were rebellious, sneaky, like my friends and I would sneak some of our parents alcohol or I would drink it with my friends when I was younger because it was cool. But that was the only reason. It wasn't about the buzz. It wasn't about the escape. And I had this realization the other night when I had that wine of how good it feels. I think it might sound really obvious if you're somebody who drinks wine regularly. But for me, I honestly just forget about what that's like. And there was this moment I thought, you know what, why not? Like, I'm just going to go and have wine more regularly. So when I go to the store, I'll buy. I'm really curious about these canned wine options now. And they're beautiful. I didn't even really know it was a thing. But there are certain stores you go into and they have just like all these different options. And again, some of them say vegan right on the can. It's an interesting topic that you bring up, Whitney, about kind of like indulging in this, maybe for the first time in your life, like kind of exploring this because... Well, let me be clear. It's not the first time in my life. (laughs) Well, no, I I don't mean ever drinking, but I mean, it sounds like you're exploring it in a more intentional way is what I mean. Whereas it's like, there's like, oh yeah, I'm just kind of out for dinner and I'll have a glass. But it sounds to me like you're having a more intentional approach. That's what I meant by not the first time ever, but the first time that maybe you are, yeah, intentionally imbibing and investigating this because people are really, really into wine, much like they're into food or different culinary trends. I remember for me, one of the biggest educations I received was when a, a few years ago, I was invited to the Pebble Beach Food and Wine Festival and got to chef there. And that was a huge, huge experience for me. That was really a dream come true because that's probably one of the preeminent food festivals in the world. And granted, I still know very little about wine. I know more than I did then, but being able to immerse myself in that, it was an almost week-long festival going to wine workshops. I remember going to workshops about how to discern different flavors and and train your palate in how to taste wine. And it blew my mind the nuance and the level of mm, subtlety that people who were sommeliers and professional wine tasters, you know, the notes they were talking about, like, oh, it's there's a little bit of grass from the Scottish Highlands mixed with juniper berries and the droppings of a dung beetle. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The level of 
sophistication for people that are really into wines, it really is admirable and it's interesting to me and shows me how very little I know about that whole world. Yeah, I would agree. It's almost like a whole nother language. And I have felt that similar curiosity and awe in people that really know wine well, because it does just feel like it's this unknown territory and there's so much to learn. And I mean, it actually reminds me a lot about coffee because I've become increasingly passionate about coffee over the years. And the more I learn about it, the more exciting it is. But there's so much to learn because coffee is, there's like all these different levels. So it's not just how you drink it or where you get it from. Like if you go to a cafe, but it's like where the beans are from and how they're roasted and all the different subtleties and the way it tastes and how it's grown and is it organic or fair trade and is it on and on all these different elements of coffee. And every day I explore coffee a little bit, but I just feel like I'm scratching the surface and I'm not at a point where I can tell the difference between types of beans. Like I couldn't like try something and really go into depth about how it tastes. I just think like this tastes good or this doesn't taste good, you know? And I'm finding myself really wanting to dive into it more. In fact, was it this year? I can't remember now if it was this year or last year, 2019, when I went to the coffee festival. Do you recall, Jason? I feel like that might have been late last year, 2019. And there was a yeah. the Los Angeles Coffee Festival. I found out about it and thought, oh, I have to go to this. And I was so excited about it. It was actually pretty cool. It wasn't the best organized event that I've been to, but all things considered, it was really neat. And it's one of those things I look back on. And right now, especially given that events like that aren't happening, I have even more desire to go to something like that because they had all these different stations. You can go and learn how to do coffee art like with steamed milk, which is something I really would love to learn how to do. And actually, after that demo I went to, they showed how to make coffee art and I felt like it satisfied me enough. And I realized, eh, I don't know, it feels a little too involved <laughs> to make coffee art at home because I've tried. And it's like there's a whole technique to it, which is cool, but it also feels like a lot of work. Anyways, they had all these different coffee brands and all these coffee accessories. And it's just like such a neat thing. So similar to what you're describing with wine, you can go to a wine tour, for example, and just learn about it. And it's a kind of a big commitment, you know, <laughs> like trying to study all of these different things. I feel like if I had to choose, I'd probably choose coffee over wine. If I could only master one in my lifetime, coffee appeals to me a little bit more. And that's the other thing, too. I'm reading a book about assertiveness. It's really interesting. I, of course, link to it in the show notes at wellevator.com, just as we will with everything we're talking about here. For you, the listener, if you're curious about whatever we're referencing, wines and resources and books, such as this assertiveness book I'm diving into, there's this section about stress. Oh, wait, wait a second. I just realized I'm reading three books at once right now. And that section I'm about to reference was not. <laughs> I will still link to the assertiveness book. Wow. But yesterday, I literally read parts of three different books. And now I'm getting them all confused. I think the book I'm actually about to mention is about perfection. So I will link to that as well. And that book is really good. I just started it. And it was talking about stress. And there was this little section about how addicting caffeine is. And I found myself 
feeling a little defensive. I'm like, don't take my caffeine away from me. Like, please. And I was thinking about how much I love my daily routine of drinking coffee. I really do. I cherish it. I look forward to it. In fact, every single day around 4 p.m., that's my cutoff time. I won't allow myself to have caffeine after four because I want to let it get out of my system so I can sleep well. And I feel sad. And it's like, I've actually started, I feel like I'm trained now to feel sad at four o'clock every single day. <laughs> oh, I'm 100% sure. And that's the thing I need to be really aware of. But perhaps wine is filling the gap in between 4 p.m. and the next day because then I can have wine. But <laughs> I certainly don't want to fall into an addiction or dependency on anything. And I feel like wine and coffee are so interesting because coffee is that stimulant and it, you drink it in the morning and it wakes you up. And then wine is something that you have to wind down and they kind of play similar roles in your life, you know, where caffeine is may cause you more stress and wine may cause you less stress. And I think both of them can get a little out of hand, but then there's also this side of each of them where there's such an art and a passion behind them and there's like a craft to it. But you have to really check yourself on why you're indulging in either of them. You know what I mean? And I know you're not that into either, Jason. Do you have anything like a vice you would say when it comes to something that could be addictive for you that you have to be mindful of? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is chocolate. And it's because I, much like you're describing, we're describing, Whitney, the art and the craftsmanship and the tasting of things and developing one's palate and being so into it. I think chocolate is the first thing for me. I have always, always loved chocolate, even since I was a little boy. And I remember the first time I was in Costa Rica in 2005, early 05, I was going to a mutual friend's property. He had bought a, a bunch of farmland kind of in the, in the center of the country. And it was the first time I ever got the chance to try raw cacao. You know, we went up to a cacao tree and he took his machete and split it open and opened the pod. And I had a raw cacao bean for the first time. And I remember it was such a mind-blowing experience for me. So I think chocolate is definitely the thing for me. And for me, I have noticed, and I believe I've touched on this. No, I've touched on this in a previous episode. I'm trying to remember which one. It's hard to keep track sometimes because we cover so much territory. But my dependency sometimes on sweet foods when I'm feeling stressed, lonely, anxious, or depressed, and the correlation that I've made in terms of the psychology of eating. Oh, we talked about in the psychology of eating episode. Yes. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. I've noticed that when I feel lonely, depressed, anxious, scared, I reach for chocolate or I reach for sweets. So I also need to be very mindful. I don't want to use the word careful. I like mindful better of, am I indulging in chocolate as a joyful pleasure or am I indulging in it as a means of escape or a way to kind of emotionally bypass feeling what I need to feel? So for me, chocolate is a very... <laughs> Relationship status, complicated, because I love it, and it's a great pleasure of life, and I love tasting new chocolates. We had our good friend Justin Polgar, the minister of Yes, the founder of Yes Cacao on the podcast as well. We will also link to that in the show notes. And his palate is so wonderful. I remember after we recorded the podcast, Whitney, we all went to uh, Rainbow Grocery in San Francisco and got a few chocolate bars. And remember, we were doing that tasting in the car, and he was describing all the notes 
and the textures and the flavors and the highlights. And it's just a pleasure for me to be in his company or anyone who's a master chocolatier, because again, their palate and their sensitivity is so developed and I learned so much from them. Yeah, I think you're right that chocolate is like that for you. I almost thought you might say marijuana as well. (laughs) I love cannabis in terms of, well, two purposes. Cannabis in terms of sleep has been a godsend for me. And Whitney, you know, I'm not sure if we've discussed it, my insomnia the past three years on the podcast yet. If we haven't for the last three years or so, I have had bouts of raging, really debilitating insomnia where I remember a couple of years ago, you know, you checking in on me, Whitney, being like, are are you okay? Whereas I would not really sleep well for days and days and days on end. And I started to get scared about it. And so cannabis has actually been a way for me to overcome the insomnia by smoking it before bed. And for me, the intentional usage of it is, do I feel good on it? Absolutely. For me, it's a much more pointed, intentional thing that I use, whereas cacao or chocolate is like simply for the pleasure of it. So I think the intention of like how I use cannabis is very different than how I utilize and use cacao in my life. It's so fascinating, you know, and any of these, whether it's wine, coffee, cannabis, chocolate, they can go to all different extremes and they can be used for pleasure and they can be used for something to escape your life. And I don't think that there's generally anything wrong with that. It all depends on the extremes that you're going to, right? Yeah. And how it's disrupting your life. And we can put a lot of judgments. I mean, some people abstain from anything that gives them that experience. Any stimulants. Exactly. And we talked about this too in that episode about what's the term? It was like taking a cleanse, avoiding. Remember we were talking about eye contact. What was that called? Oh, is it dopamine fasting? That's it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what all, a lot of these are giving you is this high and this, you know, we have this draw and I bet you it's a very timely thing and admittedly why I got a little bit more into wine. It's like I literally got a taste of what it felt like to have that elation and this ability to spend a few dollars on something, I mean, on the lower end, right? To buy a a nice can of wine cost me five or six dollars. And you could buy a nice bottle of wine for maybe even less per serving, right? Maybe not, actually. I don't know. I don't know that much about wine to tell you all the different price ranges. All I know is that when I see nice packaging, (laughs) I'm spending money. You're a sucker for good design. (laughs) She's a sucker for good design, y'all. Oh my gosh. And I did actually find one that was low calorie, low carb, and vegan, gluten-free. It was like checked off every box and I'm like sold and it had nice packaging. Anyways, I got a little distracted here. But my point being that buzz I felt the other night when I decided that I would start drinking wine a little bit more frequently, it was that feeling of, oh, this is nice. Like Anytime I need it, I can just grab this and feel good. And then last night, actually, I forgot about this till now, I was doing a game night with a group of people and they called it like cocktails and code names. And it was this fun game, but it was a group of people I had never met before. And maybe I met like one person, two. Okay. I knew two people in this group, but I was feeling very introverted and nervous about socializing with people even over Zoom. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to partake in the drinking. And again, I scrounged around. 
the refrigerator and I was able to put together a cocktail from this uh, bottle of gin that was open in the back of the fridge and some sugar-free soda that I had. And I made myself this little drink and I'm enjoying it. And again, I'm a lightweight because I don't drink that often. And I was thinking to myself, this is really fun and this is really pleasurable. And I feel like now I can be a little bit more relaxed and less in my head about socializing. And I think that's a huge reason why people drink. One of the first things that you get when you go into most parties is there's like a bar somewhere or depending on the type of party you go to, somebody's serving you a drink, carrying around a plate of wine, you know, and you can just instantly get a little buzz on and it's social lubricant, you know? Yep. Yep. And even when you and I went to that famous party, (laughs) the cannabis party that you and I went to, it was like we walk in and we are instantly served cannabis products and you take them and you wait for the effects to sink in. And then next thing you know, you're feeling on top of the world and able to talk to anybody. And it just like completely takes down your fears and discomfort and it helps you be more relaxed. And yet I think It's really fascinating, though, when you go into a party and you're sober and just to observe the difference between taking some sort of a stimulant. I mean, I think the same thing could be said with going into a coffee shop. You know, it's like everybody in there is hyped up on caffeine. (laughs) Like this environment of even if you're just drinking tea or sugar. I mean, let's the same thing is true. We're talking about chocolate as well. It's like, you go into a Starbucks and it has everything. It has chocolate and sugar and caffeine <laughs> of all different types. And I'm sure, well, I'm not sure actually, but I imagine they might have alcohol. They don't have cannabis in there yet, but maybe they have CBD. Hmm. I don't know if there's CBD in Starbucks, but there are CBD drinks in a number of cafes now. Yeah, it's becoming kind of an ubiquitous thing. And you know what comes up for me, Whitney, too, is the judgment in my head Not necessarily my voice, but the generalized voice of like, oh, I thought you guys were health and wellness uh, experts or influencers or hosts, and here you guys are talking about wine and cannabis and chocolate and sugar and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but all those things fall into health and wellness these days. No, I know, but the voice I'm hearing in my head is when I have posted certain things in the past, and it's not often, but things about psychedelics or cannabis or chocolate or things like that, there's sort of like this tier of purists and perfectionists that are involved in the health and wellness industry. I won't name who they are. Specific people that are very quick to be like, that's not healthy and here's what it does to your body and your liver and your endocrine system. And And my whole thing is this goes back to what we have talked about, that there are conflicting studies and research and science that one can find opposing viewpoints with valid stances on both sides of the coin, you know, in terms of wine, right? For instance, you look at a lot of the longevity research and the stuff that Dan Buettner has wrote about in the Blue Zones or the stuff that I've talked about in my TV series, How to Live to 100. And you look at people in the Blue Zones that are living healthfully to the age of 100 and beyond. They're vital at 100. And you look at a place like Sardinia, Or you look at, you know, some places in Europe where people are living to 100. And admittedly, many of them drink a glass of wine daily. In fact, the current world record holder, Jean Calment, a French woman who lived well into her 120s, was said that, you know, even toward the end of her life, she was drinking a glass of wine a day. So how can you argue with someone, you know, who lived into their 120s and was still vibrant in their hundreds? It's like, yeah, I drink a glass of wine a day. 
But then there's that flip side, I'm saying, Whitney, where they're the purists that are like, oh, but you know, it's only because of the resveratrol and the resveratrol is the antioxidant. You can get that from grape juice and you don't need to drink wine and blah, 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 blah. And I think that my point is this, we can spend our lives trying to be purists and perfectionists. And I have found that when I have fallen into that pattern of eating and living, it kind of sucks the joy out of life a little bit. There's a tendency for it to be like, okay, I'm being a little bit pure here. And I'm maybe like, you know, being a little too, I don't know, perfectionistic with my life. And I don't know, to me, I think that if we carry it to too much of an extreme, I have found that it sucks the joy out of life a little bit or a lot bit. (laughs) And this is just the thing that we, we come up against in a lot of our episodes, which is there are just so many different perspectives on health. And that's why a big aim of ours is to have conversations instead of debates. We're not here to like argue about what's healthy and what's not, what's good for your well-being and what's not. Well, if I were to give you one definitive answer or perspective on what I think is that it all comes down to balance. And there is that cliche of everything in moderation, but I think it's a cliche for a reason, you know? And I go through so many different phases when it comes to my lifestyle, my food choices, and you know, I was thinking about this recently, actually, on TikTok. I've been posting a lot of videos about vegan junk food, and I started to feel really self-conscious about it. <laughs> it was like all these processed food items that I was showing on my feed because I was enjoying them, and I find them interesting, and I love talking about products. And it's just like been a bunch of processed foods in a row that I've been posting. And I thought, similar to what you just said, Jason. I'm like, oh my gosh, people are going to judge me and they're going to come on here and comment about how all this food is bad for my health. But you know what? I'm fine right now. <laughs> like, Let's first of all, we're still in quarantine as of the time that we're recording this. And I think a lot of us have been indulging in processed foods more frequently. But that brings me joy. I really enjoy trying processed foods. Like I will be the first to admit is that today I had the Beyond Meat breakfast sausage and I was just so excited to try it. And it's gluten-free and it's soy-free and it's vegan and I think it's low-carb like a lot of their products. Checks off a lot of boxes for me. Would I call it healthy? No, (laughs) but I really enjoyed the experience of it. It brought me joy and that is so important. And I go through all sorts of different phases and I don't want to get into that orthorexic standpoint when it comes to eating anything. I think joy is the ultimate thing. And when I look at my longest living grandparent who passed away four years ago, it was my grandfather. He was 97 and a half and his diet was not very good, at least in the time that I knew him. Now, granted, we've talked about this too, how we can't really use anecdotes to back up health, right? Because people can be in all different extremes and live a long life somehow, despite the odds. And certainly when it comes to our grandparents, they grew up in a completely different environment than we're growing up in right now. But if you were to just look at the last 30 plus years of his life, he ate a lot of processed foods, junky foods, non-organic foods, you know, sugary foods or whatever, like lots of meat and dairy and all these things that Jason and I have come to learn or believe are not very good for your long-term health. And yet my grandfather lived to 97 and a half. And the reason I bring him up actually is not about his diet. It's about his joy. 
And he was such a beautiful example for me because my grandfather always put on a happy face. I saw him less than 48 hours before he passed away. And he was in such good spirits, even though he was living in a hospice room alone and his wife of many years had passed away a few years before that and his family's coming together around him. I mean, he knew he was dying, but to the last moment that I was with him, he was full of joy. And that's what I want to be. It's another cliche point or piece of life advice, but we're not going to be sitting here thinking like, well, I probably shouldn't have had all that chocolate. <laughs> Who's going to think this stuff? Oh, Do you know what I mean? And yeah, even today, I received an email from one of my friends who is one of the, quote, healthiest, end quote, people that I know. She is really into whole foods, plant-based living. She eats organic. She is very mindful about ingredients. She's mindful about holistic living. She has a whole career built on this. She's just like an incredibly knowledgeable, passionate person who walks the talk, right? That's the right phrase. Yeah. And I think I know who you're talking about, by the way. So continue. She sent an email today completely out of the blue to a few of her friends. And it was basically saying, hey, amidst all of the things that are going on in the world, there's a lot of things about our lives that are up in the air. So I'm sending this email. In the case that something happens to me and my life ends, I want you to have this information because there are things that I want for my legacy. And if I'm not able to follow through with them, if my health is at risk, I want you to have this so that you can finish out what I didn't get to finish. It was like kind of a morbid thing and completely out of the blue. And I actually haven't had a chance to have an in-depth discussion about why she sent it. But for all I know, her health is not in danger at this very moment. But I think that she really wanted to ensure that some things got followed through with. And it was like a realistic perspective of, hey, like, I don't know how long I'm going to live. Anything could happen to any of us at any moment. And this is really important to me. And it's so true because we're in this time where we could be incredibly healthy people and get COVID and our lives could be over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or we could be hit by a bus, the cliche example, or a number of things that could happen to us, even if we feel like we're doing everything, quote, right. And so there's a part of me that feels like sometimes just fuck it. I want to eat whatever I want to eat. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I do. Yeah. You and I, Jason, are ultimately about mental well-being. And I think that's been a huge shift in our careers. Because certainly, Jason and I have gone through a lot of different phases with our separate individual careers where we've touted the benefits of all these different foods. And we still say those things. We still believe them. But why should I hide the fact that I like processed food? Why should I hide the fact that I drink wine sometimes or alcohol or love coffee just because of someone's judgment? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. whenever you say that, there's, I kind of get into Jason Robel mode. <laughs> what does that mean? What do you mean? Jason Robel mode is like, fuck them. <laughs> oh, that's my mode? Okay. Yeah, that is a mode I get in. Yeah. <laughs> people don't really see that publicly, but the people in my life, yeah, it's like, fuck them. It's your life. And it's just bullshit because to me, that seems incredibly stressful to constantly be worried about what other people think about me and like 
get into that mode, especially for me, who's had a history of disordered eating. Yeah. The last fucking thing I want to do is go about my life worried about every morsel of food or drink I put into my body. Like, that's fucking ridiculous. If I find pleasure in trying processed foods and I also eat unprocessed foods, then let me be. You know, first of all, it's my body. And second of all, like, who is anybody to judge somebody on social media? for what they eat. It's just fucking ridiculous because if you didn't know this about us already, like Jason and I are constantly researching these things. We're surrounded by health quote experts, Mm -hmm. researchers, scientists, doctors, nutritionists, dietitians, on and on and on. We know all this information and yet we also enjoy indulging in certain foods and I don't want to have to hide that. The reason I post about it on TikTok, for example, is joy, but it's like, it's also in my opinion, showing how diverse vegan foods can be. I mean, there's already so much judgment about veganism being limiting or lacking joy or whatever. And it's like today, my TikTok was showing how you could have breakfast sausage and eggs and they're entirely vegan, gluten-free. Like you can check off all of these boxes. And yeah, they literally came from a box. (laughs) But if this brings you joy, if this helps you eat less animals, and make a lighter impact on the planet, and maybe your health for some tiny fraction of your long-term health is affected by it. I don't know. It just seems silly. Yeah. It goes back to like, also, I think if one is being too structured and too strict with their eating and their lifestyle, it's like the worry and the stress and the anxiety that is generated from trying to protect yourself from GMOs, toxins, dioxins, all that stuff all the time, the cortisol and the stress hormones and the elevated blood pressure and all of the other things that one may experience from those emotions might be much more deleterious and bad and harmful than you actually just being like, okay, cool. I'm just going to have this you know, Beyond Meat breakfast sausage and enjoy the hell out of it and enjoy and own my choice fully instead of eating it and then beating myself up for it afterward, right? Because then you have all of that emotional charge on it. And I think it's just so wonderful. I want to loop back, Whitney, to you talking about your grandpa, who I was so thankful having the opportunity to meet him several times of his spirit and his attitude. And you talked about joyfulness. And I had a similar experience with my neighbor growing up. Her name was Ann Curry. And she also passed away, I think, at 96. And we were exactly 60 years apart in terms of our age frame. She's passed out of her body now. And a few years before she passed, I went over to her house to help her with some stuff. And I said, Hey, Ann, you know, can I ask you a question? She said, Yeah, of course. You know, this is cliche, but like, what's your secret? How have you lived so long? And mind you, not just lived long, but in her 90s driving her car, taking trips to California and Vancouver, Canada to visit her family, going to bingo, shoveling her snow, doing her gardening in her 90s, right? Just going completely against, I think, the stereotypical image of aging, certainly in this society. You know, so I said, Anne, what's your secret? She said, you know, just don't stop doing things that you enjoy. I said, that's it? She said, yeah, just keep doing things that make you joyful. So when you said that about your grandpa, that totally reminded me of my conversation with Mrs. Curry in her 90s. And she's like, just keep doing things that you enjoy. And I thought, that's it. It's like, if you are joyfully engaged with life, right? Joyfully engaged, like you're intentionally doing things that bring you joy and probably as a result, bring others joy. We can't discount that in terms of longevity. 
right? Clearly. I mean, and again, we have anecdotal evidence of your grandpa and my neighbor, but I really think that we're onto something here where it's not about strict micromanagement of everything you put in your body and, oh, I shouldn't think any negative thoughts and I have to be high vibe and positive all the time because I want to live to 100. It's like, no, just relax a little bit, relax your butthole, chill the fuck out (laughs) and enjoy your fucking life every once in a while, for God's sake. Well, this reminds me of one of the episodes we did. I think it was on sleep when I said I would rather... It was something like sleep longer or go to bed, right? It was something related to sleep. And I said, I would rather do this and shorten my life by a few years than force myself to live in a way that was unpleasant for me. Yeah. Well, it was almost like... It was something around sleep. It was in one of our sleep episodes. Yeah. We'll link to in the show notes. You actually had a really surprised response when I said that. You were like, really, Whitney? I didn't know this about you. And, you know, sleep is another thing that I felt really judged on. And actually, during quarantine, I've gone back to my, quote, old ways. Oh, you have? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and for anybody listening that didn't know this about me, I've gone through a lot of different periods of sleep. But in terms of timing, it's felt like a really embarrassing thing for me throughout my life because I've been judged by a lot of people for my sleep schedule. And Let me tell you, Jason, as soon as I gave permission to relax and just sleep whenever I felt like it, meaning like go to bed when I felt tired and wake up when I wanted to wake up. Today, I set an alarm because we needed to record, but this is probably the first time I've set an alarm for myself in weeks because with quarantine, I've had very few reasons to wake up at a specific time. And before quarantine was getting up three days a week at 5.15 in the morning because of my favorite fitness class. And I miss the hell out of that fitness class, but I certainly don't miss waking up that early. It was really (laughs) nice. It was nice, I will say, to wake up and have the whole day ahead of me and be up before other people and drive to class with zero traffic and see the sun come up and finish my workout at seven something in the morning. You know, I loved all those different elements of it, but my body was being forced to wake up five hours earlier than it normally likes to wake up. And so I was in constant sleep debt for months and months. I think I was doing that class regularly from October or November 2019 until March 2020. So it was a long time of building sleep debt. And for people that are unaware of this, if your body is deprived of sleep, it literally goes into debt. And you have to make up for it. You'll be forced to make up. Your body cannot physically handle that much lack of sleep for too long. And I really was struggling to go to bed early. So I would generally go to bed between 10 p.m. and 12 a.m. and then wake up at 5.15. And I'm somebody that really thrives on eight or nine hours of sleep. And so once quarantine happened and I no longer was going to that class, I slowly started to go back to my old ways. And I'll be frank, this is probably going to sound really shocking, but the earliest I wake up these days is 10.30 a.m. And some days I don't wake up until 12 p.m. I had no idea this was going on. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I find myself, if I just let myself be, I will stay up until an average of 2.30 in the morning. And then I go to bed I sometimes don't fall asleep until 3 a.m. And, you know, naturally, I'll just keep sleeping and I'll wake up between 11 and 12 p.m. 
11 a.m. and 12 p.m. each day when I don't turn on an alarm. And for a while, I was averaging 1030, which felt pretty comfortable. But once I started slipping towards 12 p.m., it definitely I started to feel really self-conscious about it. But again, it's so tricky because I've been doing this almost my entire life. And I've talked about this before. We don't have to get into all the details because we already did a whole episode on this. But it's like that frustration I felt when it comes to food and sleep and all these different aspects of my lifestyle, try to force myself into some box because people said it was good for me. Yeah, right. Or what I was doing was bad for me. Right. And people will shame me. And it's like, I'm at a point in my life where shame is just a huge enemy of mine. I don't want to feel shame. It is not benefited me at all. And so many of us live our lives trying to fit ourselves into a box based on somebody else's recommendation. And I think not only does the awareness of that grow as we get older, but I think culturally, more and more we are recognizing this, how much we put ourselves into boxes. Right now with COVID, I think a lot is being revealed to us. It's like, we don't need to do all of these things. And I bet you there are a lot of people who are discovering different sleep routines as a result of COVID. One of the reasons that I felt so much joy when I quit working full-time jobs, when I no longer had to wake up every day at 7 a.m. or whatever it was back then to get to work by 9 a.m., I was miserable when I worked a full-time job and had to live on that schedule. Yeah. I really was. I was experiencing sleep debt all the time because I've always been somebody who goes to bed at 12 a.m. ish or these days, you know, really late. And I, I've researched it and I've tried to shift and I've gone caffeine free. I've done so many different things over my life to try to figure out how to put myself into that box that a lot of other people are in. But when I've given myself the freedom to sleep on my own terms and say fuck it to the rest of the world and just let myself be, I've gone into that schedule. So it's like, who is saying all of this? You know, it's like people have been so concerned. It's like, you should stop drinking caffeine and that's what's causing you. Okay. I've tried it. Hasn't helped. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) People have said like, maybe that's why you've struggled with your weight over your life. And I'm not sure that it has. I've experimented a lot with different ways to keep my weight in balance. And I don't know that sleep has really impacted it that much as much as food choice. I mean, if anything, shifting my away from processed food has been the most beneficial thing for me, ironically, as I've talked about processed food. (laughs) When I've had less processed food, that's usually when my body looks and feels its best, but that doesn't necessarily change my sleep schedule. So I don't know how we got here from wine. I think it's like we certainly found this thread through with wine and connection to a lot of different elements of our lives where we feel shame or judgment or We feel like we're doing things right or wrong for our health. And I think it's just a reminder that this podcast is not about us giving you health advice. (laughs) You know, this podcast is about sharing honest conversations from two people who have worked in the health and wellness industry for over 10 years. And we're being fully honest here and transparent and we're exploring it. And nothing we're saying today is permanent either. I think that's the other important thing. I mean, who knows? Jason could take up wine drinking as well. Anything could happen. I think the one thing is that we're just coming from what we have experienced in the moment and the collection of our experiences and what we've gone through. And as Whitney mentioned, how she's experimented with so many different ways of eating and living and sleeping and 
boy, it's such a complex issue. Being human is a complicated thing, which is really at the core of why we're doing this podcast is exploring the ups and downs and the ins and outs and the often confusing, glorious, weird, bizarro thing of being a human on this planet and figuring out our bodies and our minds and what the hell we're all doing here. And you know, for me, what, what it brings up is that there's an idea that there's one right way to live. There's one right way to eat, pray, meditate, drink, sleep, whatever the hell it is. You know, I feel like there's just been this bizarre worshiping of, we talked about anecdotal evidence at the beginning of this episode, but the use of anecdotal evidence as a guise for direct causality and results. And here's what I mean by that. You talked about, oh, maybe you'll sleep better if you take caffeine away, or maybe you'll lose weight if you take caffeine away, because I read this study on Mind Body Green or whatever that said that people in this study, blah, 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 blah. Or I think about it in terms of entrepreneurship too. You know, I remember a few years ago, there was some research that came out that said like, high achievers and billionaires do these five things. They make their beds every morning. They wake up at 5.30 a.m. before everyone else to get a jump on the day. They make sure that they think only about the positive results of their actions and on and on and on. It's like, oh, well then, oh, if all these successful billionaires are doing this, then I ought to make my bed every single day because I'll, quote, be more productive, anecdotal evidence. Or I should get up at 5.30 every day because the early bird gets the worm. That's what we've always been told. But what we're talking about now is, again, this idea that a formula or a way of doing it like other people do it is going to create direct causality and have certain results in our lives. And it's just not true. It may be true, but to say that there's a sweeping generalization that if you make your bed and you get up early and you think high vibe thoughts and you take out caffeine and you do enemas and you know you get a dog because that boosts, whatever the hell it is, there's so many articles like this. Just do these five things and you'll have a happy life. And I call bullshit. It's feeding into... A Culture of Perfectionism. Yes. And I'm reading this book, which I don't know when exactly it came out, but uh, it's called The Pursuit of Perfect. And at the very beginning of the book, the author says that one of the major obstacles to becoming happier, arguably the number one obstacle, is the aspiration to a life that is not just happier, but perfect. Mm. And I think that's what happens in the health world is this desire to be perfect, to eat perfectly, to sleep perfectly, to live perfectly, to have perfect everything. We want it to be perfect. And I think that that's a huge part of consumerism and marketing is somebody can market us a perfect life and give us this checklist and tell us if we just do all of these things, we will be perfect. But the problem is, is that that list never ends. And that list often conflicts with itself, you know, because we're not promoting processed foods. You know, when I talk about, I mean, technically, maybe I do promote it when I post about it on social media, right? But I'm not saying that eating the Beyond Sausage is going to help you be healthier or going to help you be happier. What I am saying is that in that moment, I felt joy because I liked the taste of it. I liked the experience of it. What I'm ultimately promoting is just enjoying your life and experiencing things. And I'm also promoting what works for me. But I think what's tricky is that a lot of marketing is saying, if you do this, then you will be happy. I'm trying to guarantee you some sort of result. And it just becomes this ongoing thing. To Jason's point, for people like me, I would consider myself a recovering perfectionist because I've spent so much of my life 
trying to check off all the boxes that ultimately did not lead me to happiness. It led me to feeling stressed. It led me to feeling shame because I was so afraid of being judged all the time for my choices. So I would hide things. And I was thinking this the other day as I ate something. I'm like, gosh, if only people knew what I actually ate outside of my Instagram post, what would they think of me? (laughs) And it's just so ridiculous to live that type of life, for me at least. If it brings you joy to try to be perfect, go for it. Like I'm not saying don't do those things, but I'm saying you need to really check in and understand your motives for trying to do all these things. Are you just trying to be perfect all the time? We referenced Jordan's book. Wait, what was it called? What's Jordan's book? Breaking Vegan. Thank you. I knew it had something, B and the word vegan. (laughs) And it's about orthorexia. You know, and we talked in a previous episode, which we will link to. And actually, she would be a great guest. We should bring her on because she has a podcast as well. And the judgment that she faced for no longer being vegan. But when I read that book and saw her reasons for it, I applauded her because I too, as I've said many times, have struggled with disordered eating. And I think a huge part of that is that desire to look perfect, to feel perfect, to present yourself as perfect, to show your lifestyle as being perfect. It's so much about perfection. And then it can become so obsessive that you only eat foods that you deem at the time as being perfect. And I think that's incredibly detrimental to your mental health. Yeah. Well, it's an offshoot, I think, of our success at all costs culture. I really think that we've created things that have nothing to do with competition and made them a pseudo competition. That's my observation of it. There's a phenomenal article I read this morning that I want to link to in the show notes as well. It's a New York Times article by a guy named Adam Grant. And the article is, Stop Asking Kids What They Want to Be When They Grow Up. And it goes into this idea of, from the youngest, youngest age, asking kids what they want to be when they're you know three, four, five years old, is setting up a construct of success metrics where we get these messages that, okay, well, you need to define yourself by your job and your success, and then therefore, your self-worth is dependent on what you achieve. And I think that that is a massive undercurrent and belief system in our society. And I'm struggling with this right now, because I've defined myself in a very narrow field for 15 years of my career. And now that I'm not really, quote, accomplishing much with it or making money at it, there's this idea of like, oh my God, your self-worth. And I realize that that's something that's inculcated in us, that's embedded in us from a very young age. You need, okay, you want to be an astronaut, a filmmaker, an athlete, a thing, and then you have a level of success at it. And then when that success isn't there, your identity starts to crumble because you're like, well, what do I have? I have this thing. As an offshoot of that too, because I'm on a roll here and I want to keep going with it, the great documentary, which I finally started watching the docuseries, The Last Dance about Michael Jordan and the 90s Bulls. I know we've brought it up in several episodes, but it's so good. There was an article also this morning I read about Michael Jordan struggling in his life after basketball. There was a 2013 interview for Michael Jordan's 50th birthday. There was a profile in ESPN, the magazine, where he talked about how even as the owner of the Charlotte Hornets basketball team and all the other business endeavors that he does with the Jordan clothing brand and Nike and Michael Jordan's a billionaire. He's an extremely successful businessman. Yet, he said he still struggles with his identity and sense of purpose and self-worth because he created it as the, quote, greatest basketball player of all time. 
And now that he hasn't played professional basketball since he retired in 2003, he's still struggling to find worth and identity in the world. For the greatest basketball player of all time and a billionaire, he still struggles. Because why? We create this mentality that your value is based on how good you are at your profession. And it's kind of sick. And it's no wonder we have so much depression and anxiety and suicide when we've attached these external factors to someone's idea of how much they're worth in the world. I really think that you would love a part of A Course in Miracles that I just read the other day. And I've had it delivered to my inbox for over a year now. You can actually sign up to get free emails on this book, A Course in Miracles. And if you, the listener, haven't heard of it, it's a spiritual text. And I learned about it, I think, originally from Marianne Williamson, who has kind of shaped her whole career around this book, at least up until she started running for president. And I'm sure that's even part of her new book about politics, which I have yet to read. And I was encouraged by a friend to read the book. And it's very in-depth. So I signed up for daily emails. And it's really nice because every day I get a little passage from the book. And sometimes I'll go look at in-depth. And one of the sections, I think it was number 128 every day, there's a, a different number. And I forget what it goes up to, if it's 300 something or 500. I don't know. It takes a long time to go through this book day by day, but I think it's 128, which is all about the ego. And I wanted to read a few sections from it because it resonated with me so much and is exactly what Jason's talking about here. And one of the big things that I'm working on here, I took a bunch of notes on it and I think they're all out of order. So I really encourage you, the listener, and you, Jason, I'll send you a link to this too to read it. There's also a really great resource called A Course in Miracles for Dummies that breaks down all the different parts of the book because sometimes it feels kind of old school in the writing style and can be a little confusing. So the passage I wanted to read is, most of us have been taught that there is something outside yourself that you need to make you happy. And side note here, some of the text I'm reading is from the interpreter's notes, not directly from A Course in Miracles. And I don't know which is which because I kind of copied and pasted them into my own notes. So don't take any of this verbatim from being from the book. These are from my notes. (laughs) Grievances arise anytime another fails to comply with someone's predetermined performance standards that were supposedly required to make the world happy. Each party is in a constant battle for the rightness of their plan in their quest to manipulate the outside forces that they perceive are needed to make them safe and happy. This viewpoint binds us to the belief that something outside ourselves is responsible for our happiness. Happiness is something that happens to us rather than through us. This viewpoint disempowers us while supporting our ego's belief in lack, limitation, and separation. Our ego's plan fails to recognize that our mind is the source for our happiness. We're told to seek for happiness, love, and peace where it cannot be found. We fail to realize our world is a mere reflection of the values of our own mind. The world was designed to provide false evidence to support your ego's belief in your littleness. When you value the things of this world, you bind yourself to the belief that you are your body. You accept the limitation that come from the physical bodies and argue for your own littleness. The body is a neutral communication device that holds a place on the game board of time and space. 
It is not who you are. I love how we started talking about wine and we somehow ended up here. This is the magic of this podcast to me. Really. (laughs) Before we even started recording, I was like, hey, Jason, I have an idea. It's not going to take very long. So you're going to have to jump in with something else as a follow up. And here we are. I just, yeah, I'm in awe and joy watching how our conversations unfold here. And it just brings me so much delight. And it goes back to, I think, to the questions we ask ourselves of, we're focused so much on material success and fame and wealth and influence in our culture. Whereas if we look at some of the the people, the heroes that I've held in high regard that in the past, say, five to six to seven years have taken their own life, you know, Robin Williams, Chris Cornell, Anthony Bourdain, there's so many luminaries and artists and wonderful people that have touched my life that have passed away. And there was so much focus on their influence and their success and their talent and their fame and their money, but never really asking the question, are they at peace? Are they joyful? Do they feel whole? It was, oh, well, how could they do that? They were rich and famous and did this album and did this comedy. And We focus so much on the externalities, as you're saying, Whitney, that we never stop to ask the question, like, did they cultivate peace and joy and contentment and wholeness in their life? And I think if anything, this time, hopefully, during this great pause of the COVID-19 crisis and pandemic and everything we're going through, whatever you want to call it, I don't care what title people assign to it, but that we start to reassess our collective values of all of the external materialism and success at all costs. And again, it made me go back to looking at some of these clips from Michael Jordan during this docu-series to put him in. Obviously, he's still alive, but my perception of Michael Jordan externally is he doesn't seem that happy. I could be wrong. I don't know Michael. I've never met Michael. But just like his energy, he doesn't... You know what I mean? There's this weird message of like, he's the greatest of all time and look what he did, all the championships, all the scoring titles, the Olympic gold medal, the NCAA title. He's the greatest ever and be like Mike. Like It was a whole campaign in the 90s, be like Mike. But it's like, is he happy? Is he joyful? Is he at peace in his soul? No one's asking those questions about these people. It's just look at all the fame and success and attention. And I want to know what's the state of their mind? What's the state of their heart? What about those things? That's where I get more curious about. It's about shifting the cultural narrative, right? And this is the reason why books like A Course in Miracles are so important. We have to practice these things. We have to shift the way that we're thinking. And this actually encourages me to continue with the work that I'm doing on my own and the work that Jason is doing and the work that we're doing together because. There might be people that stopped listening to this episode as soon as we mentioned the word wine. You know, there might be people that got annoyed when we talked about processed food or cannabis or whatever else that we've discussed in this episode. And I feel what Jason feels sometimes. I get nervous. I'm afraid of offending people or turning them away from something. But at the root of everything that we talk about is something that we're really passionate about. And it's also not something that everybody is prepared to listen to or wants to listen to or is in a space to listen to. And that's really asking questions and having open dialogues and realizing that we're fluid people and that we're not perfect. And I think it's really tough for some people because it also shows that we're not always in control. And that's a big theme of ours is I think perfectionism stems out of a big desire to be in control of your life and to do things right and a fear. Ultimately, you know, I'm reading this book about perfectionism and and I have a feeling a big conclusion of this book is that perfectionism is actually coming from a fearful place because we're afraid 
to acknowledge that we can't predict the future. We can't control the future. And as we said earlier, we could try to do everything right and still have a short life. As I said with my friend as an example, she seems to me like somebody who's very prepared and very in control, you know? But she's now acknowledging that she doesn't know how much time she has. And the truth is, none of us do. So even if we did check off all of these perfect boxes, we could be left very humble at the end of our lives and realize it didn't make a difference. And that's not to be morbid. That's not saying that none of this is worth doing or trying. And we're not even trying to judge anybody for wanting to be perfect because I get it. I think Jason gets it. You know, <laughs> We've gone through a lot of different phases with our health. And Jason is a great testament to this as well. It's like he's consumed what he has thought to be a perfect diet and still really struggled with his mental health. And I'll let you speak more about that, Jason. I mean, you've done a lot of great things. You've talked about this multiple times, but it's never enough in terms of how often you speak about it because you had that TV show and you still felt depressed. You had the best-selling book, the book deal. You've had beautiful women in your life. You know, Men often strive for having this gorgeous women, gorgeous girlfriends. You've had a lot of things that would be deemed as making it and succeeding. And you've also struggled with mental health more than most people that I know. So my point is you've checked off all those boxes and still felt really low in your life. And I know I'm speaking for you right now. I'm just trying to encourage you to share, share about this. But I'm using you as an example, and I hope you don't mind, because checking off all the boxes doesn't mean that you're going to live a rich, happy life. And that's actually an example that is provided in this book I'm reading, one of the three books I'm reading right now, The Pursuit of Perfect. At the very beginning of the book, the author shares an anecdote of this man that was incredibly successful and ended his life. And the story, the moral of his story is that checking off all those boxes, getting all the things that you want, having massive success does not equal a life worth living. I mean, it really brings up the question then, what does make life worth living? That's the question that comes to me. And that's the question that I still sit with is, what is the source of joy and wholeness and peace? And in whatever ways I've tasted that material or external success, Whitney, in terms of career success or sales or money or romance or the things that you brought up, I think that there's a deepening of our existential dread in life that can result from having this massive dream in your head. I want to meet my perfect partner. Or I want to have this successful book or TV show or win an NBA title or get an Oscar or whatever. There's a million dreams. There's a billion, billion dreams that humans dream. Yet how many times do we see people and I'm whatever example I am, you know, and whatever I've achieved, but how many massive examples do we see of incredible, massive, crazy levels of success where people still have not found joy and wholeness and peace in themselves. And I remember an interview with Michael Hutchins, who was the lead singer of NXS, who sold millions, platinum records, Grammys, MTV Music Awards, the whole shot. I mean, NXS in the 80s and 90s were huge, huge band, one of the biggest bands in the world. And in one of his more final interviews before he took his own life, he was saying, I don't think people understand what it feels like to have the craziest dreams you can possibly imagine, 
and then achieve those and even beyond that and then sit with that and feel like you don't know where to go from there. And so here's the singer, you know, who, I mean, my God, the material, commercial, critical success beyond, beyond, beyond. They were a huge band. And yet he still hung himself. And so how many more examples do we need in our society of this illusion of the chasing of wealth, privilege, status, money, fame, influence? How many more examples of people do we need that clearly is not the whole equation? It's leading us down a road that ultimately is kind of like maybe the junk food we're talking about. Maybe it's a parallel analogy, Whitney, of I'm just going to eat all this amazing stuff and feel good all the time because that's, give me all the fine wine, give me all the fine chocolate, give me all the best food, and I'm just going to eat that all the time. And then on the other side of it, people are like, why do I feel so empty? And it's not about calling this out and this sort of toxic culture and idea we have around success and fame and influence, but what else is there? Again, if we want to achieve peace and wholeness and contentment and joy, then where else can we look in our lives? That's really the question I think that gets brought up in all of this is where else do we look? And for me, it's been a process of can I fully surrender to what is and just be okay with how things are? Not once I sell a million records, once I sell a million books, once I get the TV deal, once I marry a beautiful wife, once I have this, once my hair's a certain way, once I have the right car. I know what those are like because I've wrestled with all those questions and experienced some of them. Oh, cool. I finally got the thing. But how many times have we wanted something, a person, a thing, a car, the job promotion, the best-selling book, and then we get it, and then on the other side of it, a week later, two weeks later, a few months later, we're back to like craving something again. We're back to chasing something again. I mean, I think everyone can relate to that on a certain level. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think that's why everything is basically neutral. <laughs> you know, it's like though we started talking about wine today, and it's like well, it's a neutral thing. If you drink it, fine. If you don't drink it, fine. If it makes you feel good, great. If it doesn't make you feel good, don't have it. <laughs> if you find yourself drinking it every night for a while, maybe that's just a temporary thing. If it's not a temporary thing and it seems to be disrupting your life, it's time to re-examine that. And I think ultimately it's about taking away the judgments, the shame, the fear, and really tuning into yourself. The key word that comes up at the end of many of our episodes is awareness. We have to raise our personal awareness about the actions that we're taking and how they're affecting us and raising our personal awareness about how we judge other people for what they're doing because we're not in control of them. We're not even in control of our own lives. <laughs> I mean, the only control we have is over the present moment and the choices that we're making at that point. I also think our belief systems too is really you know, taking responsibility for the meaning that we assign to things. Because it reminds me of the Marcus Aurelius had a quote, who's phenomenal. Marcus Aurelius, uh, Ryan Holiday, and Tim Ferriss talk about him a lot in terms of the stoic wisdom of kind of this neutrality and kind of looking at our belief systems and meaning we assign and whether that brings us joy or brings us you know, suffering in life. And one of his favorite quotes around all this, Whitney, I think that might summarize this is he says, if something does not make a person worse in himself... Neither does it make his life worse, nor does it harm him without or within. Death and life, success and failure, pain and pleasure, wealth and poverty, all of these things happen to good and bad alike, and they are neither noble nor shameful, and hence neither good nor bad. So when I hear that from him, 
I think, well, when we deem something, oh, that's a success, that's a failure, that's good, that's bad, I'm wealthy, I'm impoverished. These are all belief systems and meanings that we assign to life. And I think ultimately, do we have control over the meaning we assign to things? Yes, we do. It might take hard, hard work overcoming those deeply embedded belief systems. But the point of Marcus's quote, I think, is everything's neutral in life and the meaning we associate and assign to it is what makes it good or bad. Absolutely. And out of curiosity, I just Googled Marcus Aurelius and wine because <laughs> I was curious. Okay. <laughs> and the first thing that came up was a Reddit post and somebody asked, what were the views of Marcus on wine? How did he and other Stoics justify the use of wine? And the top voted comment on here said, this is an interesting question. I can't speak to Marcus Aurelius, but Seneca did write two works. One is about leisure and one is about the shortness of life. Seneca in each book tackles the topic of a balanced life and how to balance work and leisure. Obviously, being a Stoic, Seneca does emphasize spending a great deal of our time reading, reflection, meditation, and rigorous conversation with our fellows. Leisure for the Stoics will be found in the love of cultivating wisdom and learning from those who have come before. Again, checking off the boxes. <laughs> Ironically saying that as we talked about perfectionism. Seneca, in fact, speaks a great deal of the benefits of making friends with the dead and benefiting from their collective knowledge in the form of engaging with their written works. However, he also has a brief section in each work that talks about drinking wine specifically. He allows for its casual consumption, but what Seneca and other Stoics do not care much for is for leisure that is lazy and unproductive, that encourages lethargy and does not actively better us as individuals. Yet even Seneca does state in a brief section that we should, on some occasions, party and get drunk and act insane, as he puts it. <laughs> he recognizes the need of simply having a good time, but of course, in strict moderation. Well, it sounds like we have a lot of things in common with Seneca. With the ancient great Stoic Seneca. Well, that Whitney, I think that is a beautiful encapsulation of this episode. I mean, that's the moderation and intentional leisure. It reminds me of so many conversations I've had over a glass of wine or a wonderful meal where you have those deep, deep, soulful conversations with friends. And in fact, I think that as we emerge slowly, or who knows, maybe not slowly out of this quarantine period, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is dinner parties again of small groups of good friends getting together over a great meal, healthy or not, and a glass of wine perhaps, and just digging into connection and soul and heart and these kind of deep conversations. And to that point, I think that is one of the great pleasures of life is sharing those experiences with people we care about. I couldn't agree more. And savoring all of those beautiful in-person conversations and connection and whatever that means, whether it's over chocolate, coffee, wine, cannabis, or none of them. Maybe it's just enjoying somebody's company. We just want to remind you to have an open mind and open heart to focus on what makes you feel good and know that none of us are doing things perfectly because there might not even be an actual version of perfection. And if drinking wine makes you feel good, then I'm all for it. But just be aware of what that feel-good feeling is and what other things make you feel good. I think that's the key is when we become so attached to something, it's often because we lose sight of other things that make us feel good. And we know that 
enjoying an apple can be incredibly pleasurable. It is for Jason's dog, at least. Unsa apple? Anybody who wants to see my exploits with Bella can follow my Instagram account where, yes, there are weird voices and yeah, she loves her unsa apples. It's true. It's true. <laughs> she makes appearances on Instagram from time to time. So that's where you can catch more of Bella. And to catch more of us, you can also follow us on Instagram. It's at Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. We are on all of the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also go to our website, which is wellevator.com. There's a podcast section where you can look at the show notes for this episode and all of the great resources, books, articles, any references, so that you can dig in even deeper beyond these episodes. We also have some amazing free resources. Speaking of feeling good, we have a free ebook you can download by signing up for our mailing list called You Are Enough. We also have some awesome online courses, including wellness warrior training and the consistency code. So stay tuned to our newsletter. We send out once a week for all kinds of great new programs and teachings and a summary of our podcast episodes from the week. So with that, my beautiful friend, thank you for listening. And we are going to dig in and get uncomfortable and wild and maybe even have a glass of wine on the podcast soon. That might be interesting wit. Just you and I crack open a bottle and do a podcast, that could get interesting and also uncomfortable. Can I say let's crack a toa? Just crack a toa. I think we once explained that inside joke. We'll have to link to that one. I'd rather. I know that we did because we referenced what Krakatoa was, volcano or something. Yeah, Krakatoa is a volcano, but it also is the sound that cats make when they see a bird outside of the window and try to imitate the bird call. I think that's what's happening. Like, let me lure you to the window with my bird call. (laughs) Never works. You think they learn by now it never works. Or it's like the cat's like weird, uh, not instinct, but like they can't help it. It's not like they're trying to. (laughs) It's like some old ancient twitch that they have. I don't know. Anyways, what a weird way to end this episode. But what's new? And what a little treat for anybody who continued to listen after our outro. You know, we got to keep it interesting here for you. We never want to cease entertaining you. Or informing you. Or making you just absolutely confused or thrilled or disgusted. We really have no control over how you perceive or digest this podcast, but we're going to keep doing it. And as long as you get uncomfortable with us, that's all that really matters. Cheers to that. Yep. Until next time. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.